0: Israeli police used stun grenades and water cannons on protesters.
1: It marks the first time police have used force on the crowd since they started protesting against government attempts to weaken the judiciary weeks ago.
0: I'm Steve Inskeep with Leila Fadl, and this is Up First from NPR News. When CIA officers in Cuba started getting sick in 2016, nobody could explain it. And the illnesses spread to other embassies. People asked if some enemy of the United States was doing it. Now U.S. intelligence concludes no enemy did. So what's responsible?
1: And jurors in the murder trial of former South Carolina attorney Alec Murdoch begin deliberations today. Murdoch is accused of killing his wife and son. Stay with us. We'll give you the news you need to start your day. In Israel, weeks of protests took a major turn
0: yesterday. In particular, police used force for the first time against the crowds. Also for the first time, thousands of Israeli protesters blocked major intersections throughout the day. They even besieged a salon where Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's wife was getting her hair done. This protester opposes the Israeli government's attempts to weaken the powers of the judiciary. We don't want to lose our country, and we know this is the last fight. If we're going to lose now, that's it. It's done.
1: NPR's Daniel Estrin has been speaking to protesters and joins us from Tel Aviv. Good morning, Daniel.
2: Good morning, Leila.
1: So these protests have been going on for weeks. What made yesterday's protests so significant?
2: Israel hasn't seen anything like what happened yesterday. Mm. Uh, The Jewish mainstream disrupted the country all day long. I mean, we're talking about people who call themselves patriots, elite military veterans. Um, Some protesters stopped trains, blocked roads. A lot of that was actually coordinated with the police. But then the far-right security minister told police to crack down, and officers did. They used stun grenades, water cannons. Um, Some protesters and officers got lightly injured. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called the protesters— Anarchists. He actually compared them to the Israeli settlers who went on a violent rampage earlier this week in the West Bank where uh, Palestinian homes were burned and a Palestinian man was killed.
1: Seems like an unfair comparison. These protesters were not setting buildings on fire, right? What do the protesters want to achieve?
2: No, they weren't setting buildings on fire. They were uh, trying to get the government to stop Advancing legislation that limits the Supreme Court's ability to strike down laws that don't guarantee basic freedoms. Uh, These protesters are fearing for Israel's future. And uh, all of this is affecting Israel's strong economy, Leila. The shekel has depreciated this past month. um, And that protester we heard at the beginning, Devorah Cohen, she is a financial advisor. I met her on the street. And she says her Israeli clients are losing confidence. Let's listen.
3: 20, 30 percent of my clients are calling me and asking me what to do. They ask me if they should go and open a bank account abroad. If they should withdraw their pensions. So this is the situation that, that 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 we are at. But every day, something new is happening. Something more uh, extreme, more uh,
1: shocking.
2: You know, she's referring there also to the recent violence in the West Bank. So Daniel,
1: with these protests in Israel and the recent violence in the occupied West Bank, where do you see all this heading?
2: Well, Netanyahu says he is ready for dialogue with the opposition. There are some attempts for a compromise for some kind of watered-down version of this controversial uh, judicial legislation. There is also some friction within Netanyahu's own governing coalition, and that makes some people here wonder if the government's days are numbered. Netanyahu is defending uh, his comparison of the West Bank settlers who went on a rampage earlier this week and yesterday's protesters. He says he was referring to both as being lawbreakers. But, you know, Israel has made very, very few arrests out of the hundreds of Israeli settlers who went on that rampage. And Israel's far-right finance minister actually said that that Palestinian town where the rampage took place should be wiped out. U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price called those comments disgusting. He said Netanyahu should disavow them. Netanyahu has not done so yet.
1: And Pierre's Daniel Estrin in Tel Aviv. Thank you so much, Daniel. You're welcome. Back in 2016, CIA officers at the American embassy in Cuba began reporting the sudden onset of symptoms that included dizziness, headaches, balance
0: problems. And then cases spread to other U.S. officials and other locations overseas. Suspicions grew that a U.S. adversary was responsible.
1: But that's not what the U.S. intelligence community found in a new report. NPR's Greg Myrie is here to explain. Good morning, Greg.
0: Good morning,
3: Layla.
1: So US intelligence officials briefed a small number of journalists on the report yesterday, including you. What did they say? They said they did not find evidence linking
3: any foreign country like Cuba or Russia or China to any of these episodes. Now seven different intelligence agencies took part. Five said it was highly unlikely a foreign country was to blame. One said it was unlikely, and one didn't take a position. Now the Intel officials went further saying this report found no no credible evidence that a foreign adversary even had a weapon that could have inflicted this kind of harm.
1: Okay, so if this was not an attack by an adversary of foreign government and there's no evidence a weapon was used, then what was causing this mystery illness?
3: Well, exactly. No, that's that's the big question. Now, the two intelligence officials said that the individual cases vary. There was a range of symptoms, and this suggested there was no single cause for these health problems. Mm. Now, the report found the ailments are most probably related to pre-existing medical conditions, conventional illnesses, or environmental factors, and they, they acknowledge this won't be persuasive to those who have suffered and are still suffering very real health issues. Uh, the officials, said the report uh, put the intel community in a position where it feels it knows much more about what didn't happen, but they still don't have all the answers to what did happen.
1: Now, I know we've been hearing about the so-called Havana syndrome for years, but if you could remind us how serious, how long-lasting some of these ailments have been. Right.
3: Many of these U.S. intelligence officials and diplomats recall the exact moment when they suffered sharp, piercing pain in their head, often accompanied by a loud noise or ringing. Many remain convinced this was a targeted attack, and and they were hit with some sort of energy weapon, perhaps a microwave device. Many say they were healthy, but since that day, they've suffered just years of physical problems that include migraines and vision trouble, memory loss, a number of them have had to retire. I've been in contact with two of them. They didn't want to speak on the record, but I did speak with attorney Mark Zaid. He's representing about 25 clients. He says he's had access to some classified information and believes that more information will emerge. I can at least say the U.S. government has a lot more information than what it is publicly revealing today. And that is where a lot of the unanswered questions arise from.
1: Unanswered questions. So will there be answers? Is this essentially settled now? Well, not entirely, Layla. Uh, More cases
3: are being reported, including some this year, though the numbers have slowed. There's about 1,500 cases reported since 2016, uh, though the cases with the most serious unexplained illnesses appear to be around uh, two dozen or so. Uh, People who suffered these ailments are receiving medical treatment and, in some cases, have been receiving financial compensation.
1: NPR's Greg Myrie. Thank you, Greg. My pleasure. Jurors in the South Carolina murder trial of former attorney Alec Murdoch are expected to start deliberations
0: later today. The prosecutors spent almost three hours presenting their closing arguments on Wednesday. They are trying to convince jurors that this once prominent attorney murdered his wife and son in the summer of 2021.
1: South Carolina Public Radio's Victoria Hansen has been inside the courtroom for this nearly six-week-long trial, and she joins us live from Walterboro. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Quite the case you're covering. People are fascinated. It's the subject of a Netflix docu-series. Could you break down what Murdoch is accused of and what you are here what you've been hearing in court?
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, where do I begin? It is a long, (laughs) complicated case, as the lead prosecutor, Creighton Waters, explained early on. You know, Murdoch is not only charged with murdering his loved ones, but has yet to be tried on charges. He embezzled millions from his family's law firm and tried to stage his own death so his surviving son could collect life insurance money. Hmm. What's more, Murdoch's slain son had recently been charged in a deadly boating accident in which Murdoch was being sued civilly. Now, Prosecutor Waters had to spell this all out to prove motive. That is, Murdoch was a desperate man when he killed his loved ones to try
1: to create a distraction and get sympathy. So how does the prosecution say Murdoch murdered his wife and son?
4: Well, Waters says Murdoch lured Maggie and Paul to the family's rural hunting property where weapons were readily available. He says Paul was shot first with a shotgun near the dog kennels, and he didn't see it coming.
3: Same with Maggie, because Maggie sees what happens and she comes running over there, running to her baby. Probably the last thing on her mind, thinking that it was him who had
4: done this. Now Waters says Maggie was then shot multiple times with an assault-style rifle, which at the time, the family owned three. Two are now missing. But the key moment came when the prosecution played a video recovered from Paul's phone, cell phone, I should say, just last year. It reveals Paul, Maggie, and Murdoch's voice just minutes before they were killed. The video shattered Murdoch's alibi. He had long said he was never at the crime scene.
3: Why in the world would an innocent, reasonable father and husband lie about that and lie about it so early if he didn't know that was there?
4: Murdoch later took the witness stand, admitting he was there briefly, but said he quickly got out of there. Waters pointed to that lie, and testimony from dozens of colleagues and clients who say Murdoch also lied to them to steal millions, including the family of his late housekeeper.
3: And he fooled Maggie and Paul, too. And they paid for it with their lives. Don't let him fool you, too.
1: Wow, a lot to digest there. So that's the prosecution side. What is the defense expected to say as it presents closing arguments today?
4: The defense says it will take just about two hours. It's really pointing to time in this case. To argue the motive is what they call ludicrous. The family had a loving relationship. There are no murder weapons that have been found, bloody clothing or fingerprints. And Murdoch could have not have possibly done this alone. But the prosecution has pointed out repeatedly, Murdoch is a skilled attorney and a part-time solicitor from a long line of solicitors who knows how to hide evidence.
1: That's South Carolina Public Radio's Victoria Hansen. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's Up First for Thursday, March 2nd. I'm Leila Falden,
0: And I'm Steve Inskeep. Up First is produced by Julie Deppenbrock and, and David West. Our editors are Amra Pasic and H.J. Mai. Our technical director is Hannah Glovnam. Join us tomorrow.
1: And are you ready for more NPR news? There's a radio show for that. Find NPR's Morning Edition on your NPR station at stations.npr.org. And for podcasts, local news, and the latest headlines, take NPR everywhere with the NPR app. Find it in your app store.